TII item 298, February 28th, 2014, Iowa 7.0.6, go to fail, go to fail. Welcome to Today in iPhone. I like it a lot. Today in iPhone. Hey, Gullah! Oh, yeah. My beautiful iPhone, which I never have out of my hand and that I do everything with and has become an extension of whom I am. Today's episode is brought to you by Hover. Please visit hover.com and as a new user, use promo code TII. SSL to save 10% off your domain name registrations. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Rob, and this is the Today in iOS podcast. First up, I want to thank John for sending in the music you hear in the background. John wrote, Hi, Rob. This is a blues number recorded using GarageBand on the iPad, and I used an iRig adapter to plug the harmonica into the iPad. It is a blend of two tunes, Homie Dripper and Evans Shuffle. Regards, John. Well, thanks, John, for the music. And folks, I'll put the full song at the end of the episode. Also want to thank Mike J for sending in the artwork for today's show. Mike had the following to say. Hi, Rob. I made this artwork on my iOS device using the Sketchy app. This is a sketch of you. Regards, Mike J. Mike, thanks again for sending in this artwork. And folks, you can see Mike's artwork in the TI app in the extras for episode 298. Or if you subscribe via iTunes on your computer as the album artwork, and also as a standalone post in the VIP section and at facebook.com slash todayinios. If you have some artwork and or music you've created on your iOS device that you would like to share with the audience, please email it to me at todayinios at gmail.com. Please make sure to include which app or apps you use to create said artwork and or music. In this segment of How Wrong Were They, we have the following quote, quote, Five reasons why Apple's iPad tablet will fail. One, it won't fit in your pocket. Two, it's too expensive. Three, it won't replace the laptop. Four, you only get access to a watered-down internet. Five, no one really needs an iPad. Unquote. Daniel Nation's About.com Guide, 26th January, 2010. Good thing no one really needed an iPad. Hate to see what the shortages would have looked like if people actually needed one of these things. Just saying. Promo codes on episode 297, we offered up chances to win promo codes for the apps Blaze and Graze, Slenderman Origins, and Feed Me Munchie. We'll be giving out those promo codes sometime this week, if, or probably into next week. If you would like a chance to learn more about these apps, go back and listen to episode 297 at the beginning for more info. No new apps to offer up this week, which means if you're an app dev, you just missed out on a chance to have your app featured here all by itself. And a quick reminder, if you are an app dev or an iBook author, email me if you want your app or iBook featured in the promo giveaway segment. We just need the five promo codes or more to give away. Simply email me at todayinios at gmail.com. Please include a 60-second or less audio review of your app or iBook indicating you are the dev or author. And when you send in the promo codes, please make sure to let me know when they expire. Now let's get into the news. And obviously we need to start with one clear item. And one of the reasons why this show is a little late this week was I had to do a little extra research this time because, well, there's been a lot of misreporting or exaggerating or just plain link bait going on about the SSL bug in iOS 6, iOS 7, and Mac OS 10.9. I want to preface this. This is a major security issue that has been patched. 
This is not something where if you are at your home on a private lockdown network and surfing the web, you were at risk. Repeat, in that scenario, you were not at risk. This is what's called a man-in-the-middle type vulnerability, and it was a major vulnerability in that regard, but it still required some evil ne'er-do-well to be on the same network or be creating the network for them to get access to your private data. This is not about visiting a website and getting malware installed on your device or it's stealing your contacts info. This is about you doing what you thought was a secure transaction on an open network and having the secure transaction or data stream being exposed. I don't want to downplay this vulnerability at all. And if you have not updated your iOS device or Mac running Mavericks, you need to stat. Per explaining this bug without getting all techie, because I've listened to a few podcasts where people got all techie, and quickly your eyes glaze over. The simplest analogy of this is you're in a class, and you want to pass a note to Sally. And you hand the note to Billy and ask him to pass it to Sally. But you don't want Billy to read the note, so you lock it in a small box. And only Sally and you have the key. If SSL is working correctly... No matter who in the room gets that box before it gets to Sally, the note is safe, as only you and Sally can unlock the box. But in this case, with Apple's bug, the lock was broken. And anyone that got a hold of the box could open it with a paperclip or a bobby pin and get in and read the note. I think that's about the best analogy I can put. Before SSL, there was no box. With SSL, there's a box, and the lock's supposed to be lockpick-proof. Sadly... Apple's lock was not lockpick proof. You will hear this bug referred to as the go to fail bug. That is because this bug is where they had the action go to fail twice in a row in basically an if then statement. Or to put it in basic coding logic, if true, then go to fail, else go to fail. In other words, no matter what, go to fail. And that, sadly, was in one place that brought the whole Apple SSL security house of cards come a-crumbling down. Happily, there is no reason you should, from this point on, be affected by this. Apple has pushed out fixes for this. But if you are still not sure you should update, here are some tweets from MuscleNerd from the iPhone dev team. Quote, It takes no iOS expertise for bad guys to abuse the SSL bug Apple just fixed. Many more can exploit for bad SSL bug than a normal iOS bug. Yep, it really is a must-have update. Otherwise, you'll always be doubting your online privacy slash security. Apple did not apply even one update that would have broken Evasion 7 at 7.0.6, i.e. they let jailbreakers have SSL fix too. Thanks, Apple. I wouldn't want to be that guy at some future tech or infosec conference using older firmware, or even maybe just at a baseball game, unquote. Okay, well, that was actually multiple tweets from Muscle Nerd. In a nutshell, update to iOS 7.0.6 or 6.1.6, and if you're on a Mac running Mavericks, update to the latest version there. It actually does not affect previous versions of Mac, so 10.8 and earlier, are not affected by this, nor are earlier versions of iOS, iOS 5.x and earlier, are free of this bug as well. If you are jailbroken and don't want to update or for some reason can't update, say you're traveling, get the tweak 
SSL patch, one word, and it will also fix Apple's SSL bug. So again, SSL patch, one word, and install that. That'll fix Apple's SSL bug. If you would like to check your Mac or iOS device to see if it is vulnerable to the SSL go to fail bug, go to gotofail.com on the browser that you like to use, and then also check from Safari because it seems that it's Safari that's affected and as the native on Macs, but not, say, Firefox or Chrome. But again, go to fail.com, go there on your browser, and you can check on my Mac, which I have not upgraded to Mavericks yet because I've been lazy and, well, basically afraid to update GarageBand. It is fine, and I'm running iOS, excuse me, Mac OS 10.8.5, and the tests say, again, I'm fine. Again, on the Mac side, this bug was not introduced until 10.9 Mavericks, which kind of kills that whole tinfoil hat theory that this was what the NSA meant in their PRISM slide when they said they added Apple in October of 2012. So the Mac side, it was fall of 2013 for Mavericks, and it was September of 2012 for iOS 6 when this bug was introed into the wild, not October 2012 like the tinfoil hatters are speculating. Don't blame on malice, that which can easily be explained by incompetence. As I mentioned, the good news is Apple did already release patches for all the iOS versions affected by this bug. So one advantage of iOS is you get quick updates and even updates for versions no longer officially supported as in iOS 6.x. So yeah, Apple helped out there. Okay, a little bit of making lemonade out of lemons, but remember, as bad as this was, and it was bad, once made public, updates were out to everyone affected in a very short period of time. Not the same can be said for Android, where there is a major security bug that is just as bad going on two years old. So before any of your Android fanboys get in your face on this, just remind them they already have major issues out there, and 70% of Android devices out there are uh, susceptible to a bug that's just as bad and known and in the wild. By the way, for those of you out there that are code junkies, you can see the code in question by looking for the link titled Imperial Violet Apple's SSL slash TLS bug in the show notes for episode 298 over at todayatios.com. There's one piece of feedback on the updates. Hi, Rob. This update for the 3GS has to break some kind of record. Being able to update and refresh a phone this old is simply amazing. The 3GS has been the best money I ever spent. Regards, Anthony McD. Here are some titles to some posts for a different iOS subject. Quote, iOS flaw makes devices susceptible to covert key logging, researchers say. Unquote. Or quote, iOS 7 has dangerous key logging vulnerability. Unquote. Or quote, New security flaw opens iPhone, iPads to covert keylogging, unquote. Or, well, you get the picture. Let's forget for a second about all this being available in any OS that allows programs to run in the background. This is big news because with iOS, it is a theoretical possibility that researchers have found, which is much more of a threat than the already, in the real world, implementation of key logging in Android, Linux, and Windows. It is the fear of what might be versus the reality of what is that makes this so newsworthy. Or maybe it just makes good link bait. 
while the SSL issue is a real-world issue, this keylogging one on the iOS side is not. If you want a keylogging issue, just look at Android. There are a plethora of keylogging apps, and not all of them are malware, just some of them. Why ZDNet and Ars Technica saw fit to publish an article about this is, well, proof that Linkbait still works. Now, if you want to talk about what this, quote, theoretical vulnerability, unquote, is, essentially, the researchers showed how they could get an app into the iTunes App Store that, when running in the background, can then monitor keystrokes done in another app. Not that they found any in the wild, just that they know how to do this, and they put in code in an app that was then approved by Apple for testing purposes, and they are working with Apple on this, by the way. Their recommendation is that you close out any apps you're not using. So don't leave Flappy Birds or other free apps like that open. Force quit them if you don't want to be exposed to this theoretical vulnerability. The best way to sum up this story? Nothing to see here, folks. Move along, move along. Another item that was big in the news of late is Facebook dropping $19 billion, that's 19 billion with a B, on WhatsApp which has over 400 million users of their app worldwide, which is a text messaging app. Or more precisely, it is a messaging app that allows for text messages that are not via your carrier, i.e. don't count against your text messaging plan. Now, there was a little brouhaha back in December and again in January when people saw requests from Facebook per the Facebook app for Android for you to give Facebook permission to read your texts. Facebook said this was so they could check your text messages for ones they send with confirmation codes and that they are not actually, you know, reading your messages for content. But well, if you give them permission carte blanche to read your text messages, then well, they can. And because of this, some WhatsApp users are run away as fast as they can. That said, if the user base of WhatsApp drops from 450 million users to 446 million users, it's not really that big of a deal to Facebook. As not only did they get WhatsApp, but probably just as important, they kept Google from getting WhatsApp, whom is reported to be the other party that was trying to acquire them, thus creating a bidding war and hence the 19 billion with a B price paid. Congrats to the devs of WhatsApp on a true rags to riches story, and oh, I have to really love the one of the co-founder, Acton. He tur- was turned down for a job at Facebook prior to the creation of WhatsApp. So he went in for a job interview, was turned down. So he went from a job that he could have been paid in the 100K range to a payout five years later in the billions from Facebook. Kudos to him. I want to take a minute now to talk about today's sponsor, and that is Hover. If you go to Hover.com and use promo code T-I-I-S-S-L, you can get 10% off your domain name registrations and transfers when you sign up as a new Hover user. And today I'm going to talk about email. Hover offers up custom emails, which if you are trying to look professional, you at your own domain.com looks much more impressive than yourname64 at gmail.com. I know I go to my rob at podcast411.com email when I'm reaching out to someone new, trying to impress them. Matter of fact, that happened tonight. I was talking for a future advertiser we're going to have on the show here, probably in the next two or three weeks, you'll see your new advertiser. And they asked where to send 
the email too. And I said, Rob at podcast411.com. And one of the people commented, that's a great domain. And I go, yes, yes, it is. Anyway, when you're trying to impress, having your own domain is a much better one. Uh, as I mentioned previously, I'm going to NAB in April and I got a press pass. And one of the requirements was your email could not be from a free email account, i.e. Gmail. So today in iOS, a Gmail would not work. But Rob at podcast411.com did. Also got me into Showstoppers on Monday night. And this time I don't have to hack my way in. I've got an, an official invite. Hover has incredible tutorials on how to set up your custom email for your iOS devices, as well as many other tutorials on setting up email for other platforms and software. Hover's email offering is everything you would be looking for. Pop and IMAP, webmail, two gig of storage, email forwarding, and wait for it, customer support. Yes, with Hover, you get great customer support, which is one thing I hear back all the time from listeners that use Hover. They love the customer support. All that for $20 a month, $35 a month gets you 10 gig of storage, or $5 a month will get you email forwarding to your Gmail account. No matter which one you choose, it is much more professional sounding to have your name at yourdomain.com than something at gmail.com. Remember to save 10% on your registrations or email accounts. Go to hover.com, use promo code T-I-I-S-S-L, that's T-I-I-S-S-L, and that's for first-time Hover customers. Isn't it time for you to like registering domain names again? Thanks, Hover, for supporting this show. Hey, Rob, Tim from Chicago, calling about the caller who was having problems making FaceTime calls over his cellular network. Uh, he said he called Apple, which I'm assuming he tried all the obvious things. In case he didn't, one of the obvious things would be to make sure that under settings cellular, that he is allowing FaceTime to be used over his cellular network. If he has done that and he's already reset network settings, the only hope that he has to eliminating this to a software issue is to restore the iOS. So he needs to back up his phone, do a full restore, and then test and work. Hey, Rob, thanks for the show. Have a great day. Into the email bag. Hi, Rob. A caller wanted to know how to do FaceTime over 3G. Simple answer is you can't do it over 3G. There was some iOS 6 update, I think, that started to let you do FaceTime over cellular, but it was only a feature for iPhone 4S and later iPhones. FaceTime only works over LTE and 4G. I've tried to use FaceTime over 3G, and it doesn't work for me either. I'm on I'm on AT&T. Regards, Ben K. Hi, Rob. This is Ken Sweat from Southwest Florida, and I'm calling in response to Ryu's problem with FaceTime over cellular data. My sister had a similar problem with her phone when it first rolled out where you could use FaceTime over cellular, and she was unable to do it. And the problem when we finally figured it out with AT&T is that she was grandfathered in on the AT&T unlimited data plan and unfortunately the unlimited data plan does not allow you to use your phone as a as a cellular hotspot or a personal hotspot and without personal hotspot the FaceTime feature will not work so it may be a problem with his carrier he may need to upgrade his plan so that he can have personal hotspot on his phone if he does should work fine thanks to all for the feedback sounds like you need to be on 4G can't be on 3G and depending on which carrier and plan you have, it may or may not work. So check with your carrier and make sure you're on LTE when trying to do FaceTime over cellular. Some really good activity in our Google Plus community. 
which is to be expected. We now have over 490 Google Plus users in that community. Yep, almost to 500 members, Mark. Just missed it before the show was recorded. Thanks to everyone that has joined. We've had over 70 posts since the last episode. Of those most replied to posts, there was one from Crescent Bolton, whom asked about photo apps and where he could create folders and put pictures in them in that app. One of the answers was from Chris in London, who pointed out the jailbreak app, Photo Organizer Pro, and Alex Tran pointed out Photo Organizer 7, which is also for jailbreakers. There were posts about SSL patch for jailbreakers, talk about Snappy Cam Pro app, talk about apps to remotely access your Mac desktop from your iOS device. Answer on that one was Team Viewer. And there was a post from Michael Price pointing out that all the latest updates keep turning Bluetooth back on by default when you do the update. And well, there were dozens of other posts and all in an Android boys free zone. Yep, it's the most civil Google Plus community covering iOS. Go to todayinios.com slash community to join in. And thanks to all 495 plus of you that have already joined the community and are contributing. With all the grief Apple is getting about security, there is also another group out there complaining about Apple with regards to their privacy policies. That group would be ad firms, and they are complaining Apple puts you, the end user's privacy, way above the needs of the advertisers. Well, shame on you, Apple. Per Apple's part to these companies, they had this to say. Quote, Apple respects the privacy of our customers and the security of their information. Because of this, iAd allows users to control their own ad preferences so that their experience is on their own terms, unquote. Oh, but they don't stop with such blasphemy there. They go on, and they said, quote, Apple has always placed a priority on protecting our customers' personal data, and we don't collect or maintain a mountain of personal data details about our customers in the first place, unquote. It is almost as if you know Apple cares about you, the end users, more than they do the advertisers. <gasps> Gasp! This really does come back to what I have said previously on the show, and it is a fundamental difference between Apple on one side and Google and also Facebook on the other. With Apple, you, the end user, are the customer. With Google and Facebook, you, the end user, are the product, and the customer is the advertisers. I do find it ironic that some Android fanboys call Apple users sheep when it is they who are having their privacy sold and slaughtered to the advertisers. Just saying. I saw in the Google Plus community, one of the users put a post up there where he started a question saying, I like using iOS because, and now you can put privacy in there as one of the reasons. Hi, Rob. I was thinking after episode 296, if, and that's a big if, Apple continues its pattern for the next few years, we will see a new iPhone in September, let's call it the iPhone 6, then maybe in 2015, in September, they'll roll out an iPhone 6S, where S stands for Sapphire. I think a Sapphire screen would be amazing, and an innovation that is very Apple makes something that people actually use and care about even better. Regards, Jordan in Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, Jordan. Bite your tongue. Let's hope it's not two years for a Sapphire iPhone, and it's the next one that has it. 
Rumors about the iPhone 6 picked up a little this month when supposed pictures of an iPhone 6 surfaced, or at least parts of the iPhone 6 surfaced, uh, and these included postings by Sonny Dickinson, who had photos of the iPad Air early on and also of the iPhone 5C. So that gave it a little bit more credibility to it since he seems to have some people that he pays off in Asia. The supposed pictures being leaked lend to a larger screen, possibly edge-to-edge. Whatever the case is, it is likely going to be September before said next-gen iPhone or iPhones launch. And again, let's hope Jordan in Omaha is wrong and the iPhone 6 that's released in September-ish timeframe has a sapphire screen on it. I'm curious, if an iPhone 6 comes out, let's say it's four and a half inches on the screen size, edge to edge. So it's a little bit bigger, not too big. Let's say four and a half inches and it's a sapphire screen and you have an iPhone 5S, would you upgrade? I would, but would you? Email me, 206, email me, 206, call me, 206-666-6364, or email me, todayinios at gmail.com. Let me know if you would upgrade if the next iPhone, the iPhone 6, let's call it, is a four and a half inch to 4.7 inch screen, and it's a sapphire screen. Let's move on to some rumors that might be happening any day or week or definitely within the next couple of months, well before September and that is the fourth-gen Apple TV. Supposedly, the next-gen Apple TV will be here prior to June, and that makes a lot of sense if it's going to have apps that it runs. Apple want it live prior to WWDC. The key question is, will it run apps? And will it be more of a cable box, kind of? One could see uh, you know, the next-gen Apple TV allowing the connection of even a coaxial cable along with Ethernet and Wi-Fi for streaming. Imagine being able to rearrange your TV stations on your Apple TV slash set-top box to be in the order you want. Oxygen, Lifetime, Hallmark. Yeah, all those stuff, you could bundle them together and then move them to the bottom of the list. At the top, you could have your sports channels and sci-fi channel plus FX and AMC. And more importantly, you can put the four channels together that will have the NCAA tournament on them so you don't have to jump all over the darn place for the first couple days of the NCAA tournament. Oh, and it would have a DVR. Yeah, that would be worth the investment in more than just one device. And it also would allow apps that work with game controllers becoming a true gaming system. That is what's possible for the next-gen Apple TV. Or it might just look and work exactly the same as the current unit, except it has an on-demand figure skating tile added. Let's hope for the former, not the latter. Into the email bag. Hi, Rob. There truly is no limit to Samsung's copying. Reminds me what people used to say about Michael Jordan. Always imitated and never duplicated. Regards, Jason H. Hi, Jason. Yep. The Galaxy 5S, oops, I mean the S5, has a fingerprint scanner and even a gold version. Hmm, where did they come up with those ideas? What is interesting is that Sammy received zero, as in none, zilch, nada, no grief from the press at all about their fingerprint scanner. Yet, Apple was put through the ringer about their much, much more secure implementation of the fingerprint scanner, much more secure as far as protecting your biometric data. See, Sammy is giving third parties access to your biometric data. Nice. Or as John Gruber said, quote, but how come so many people have lost their feces over the 
clearly more secure iPhone fingerprint sensor, and there's not a peep about Samsung's. Where's the letter to Samsung from Senator Al Franken? Unquote. Makes you wonder what the press will be complaining about when Apple intros a sapphire screen on the iPhone 6. My guess is someone will likely bring up child labor issues at sapphire mines in Madagascar. Not realizing all of Apple's sapphire is grown in a plant in Arizona, but that won't stop them from eviscerating Apple for using sapphire. Oh, and that gold-colored Galaxy S5? Yeah, the gold is not that good-looking. It actually makes the thing look like a really big Band-Aid. Really. Look at the pic from Twitter user Joanne Stern, which is over at Cult of Mac article. Link in the show notes. It's pretty funny. Thanks to Chris in London for heads up on this next one. Quote, We cannot guarantee that Android is designed to be safe. The format was designed to give more freedom. When people talk about the 90% of malware for Android, they must, of course, take into account the fact that it's the most popular operating system in the world. If I had a company dedicated to malware, I would also be addressing my attacks on Android. Unquote. That comes from Soundir Pichai, Google's Android head. Now, he was remiss in one area. It is over 95% of malware and basically nothing for iOS, even though iOS is on about 20% of active smartphone devices out there. And given iOS's users are more affluent in general, which you would think there would be some interest in getting malware on iOS for those going after those people with the money, well, it's just that, you know, I guess it's just too difficult to do. But you just have to love that last part, quote, if I had a company dedicated to malware, I would also be addressing my attacks on Android, unquote. Hey, newsflash, they already are. Hey, Rob, this is Sherry, one of the Lady Geeks from SherryGeeks.org, and I just wanted to give you a little trick for the reminders list. Um, I share my reminders list with my husband. I have a list called Grocery List, and when I find I'm running out of something, I just say, put peanut butter on the grocery list, and the peanut butter automatically gets added to the grocery list. Then you can ask Siri to bring the grocery list up. Siri, bring up my grocery list, and then the grocery list will appear on your phone in the lock screen. And then you can also delete things off your list from the lock screen, which is really handy if you feel like talking out loud to yourself in the store, which is a little crazy, but um, still easy to do. And then you can ask her to remove things from the grocery list as well. So remove peanut butter from grocery list. It works out really well, especially if you share a grocery list with someone and you just are, you know, sick of entering stuff into the grocery list. You can do it verbally. All right. That's my uh, tip. And this is, again, Sherry, one of the Lady Geeks from LadyGeeks.org. Thanks. Sherry, thank you for the great tip and how to use it. Back to the email bag. Hi, Rob. I totally disagree with you bashing the usefulness of Android tablets. I have multiple Android tablets deployed as time clocks at the small college where I work. There is no need to keep them under lock and key. I just put them in our maintenance closets. iPads? No way. They'd walk off in a week. I'm sticking with Android on this one. Love the show. Brian in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Brian, I guess I must concede that point. If you need a tablet and need one that no one would bother ever risking jail time to steal, then yes, an Android tablet would fit the bill. Hey Rob, it's Rob in Philly. Great show. I just wanted to check in on Siri and reminders. I know you've been going over this for a few weeks, but um, I haven't heard anybody mention this yet. And um, the reason I stopped using Siri 
to set reminders is because Siri is the only way I could really find reminders useful. Usually it was, you know, when I was driving or walking the dog or doing something where I was otherwise occupied and couldn't look at the screen to interact with it. And so I found it useful to have Siri set reminders for me. And the way she used to work in um, a very early iteration of Siri, I guess, was I could say, remind me to make my football picks. And Siri would say, when would you like to be reminded? And I could say, 11 a.m. Sunday. And she would set that reminder and I would get the reminder. Somewhere along the line, that changed. And Siri no longer now asks you when you would like to be reminded. So you can obviously say something like, remind me to make my football picks on Sunday at 11 a.m. But where it becomes more problematic is when you have a difficult scenario where you may have multiple times involved. Um, You may want to be reminded Tuesday night at 8 p.m. that you have a meeting Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. And Siri just kind of chokes on that stuff. On top of that, it's absolutely maddening to me that Siri will put something in the Reminders app without a time or location specified. So that's really not a reminder because you never get a reminder about it unless you open the app. Uh, that's just a list. And so for that reason, I have I have uh, sort of stopped using Siri in this way. But uh, anyway, great show, brother. Uh, take care. I'll talk to you soon. Hey, Rob. I wanted to talk about the new mobile share data plan that I got from AT&T. It gives me 10 gigs of data to share on four smartphones with unlimited talk, unlimited text, free hotspots to use on all devices for $160 a month. To add an iPad to bring in, they'll put a chip in it to see if it's unlocked, and you can add that iPad for $10 a month and shares your data. I'm sure you already know this, but it was attractive enough for me and saves me money. Not much need for me to jailbreak now. Regards, Steve in Springburg, Mo. Steve, thanks for the heads up on that. Yep, saw the ads on that the last couple days from AT&T. Seems to be a pretty good deal. If anyone knows a reason not to use that, especially uh, for those that don't already have, aren't already grandfathered in, but even if you are, boy, it sure does sound like an attractive plan for a family of four that you want to have four devices. Not a bad deal. If anyone has any other feedback on this, give us a call, 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOON-DOG. Or send an email to todayinios at gmail.com. Back into the email bag. Hi, Rob. Thank you for letting me know about the software update to 7.0.6. I lost my iPhone on Tuesday before I left the house. And a little voice was saying to me I was going to lose my iPhone. But I ignored the voice. And then the second time the voice told me to put the phone in my drawer. But I did not listen. When I did lose my iPhone, I tried to look for it with Find My iPhone, except I did not have Find My iPhone turned on, so I did not have a phone for two days. I went to Sprint to have them turn it off, but they told me if I was to do that, it would freeze my account and contract, so I did not panic and did not do that. Today, Thursday, I took my son to school, and the principal told me that she had found my phone And it was a good thing I did not lock it because she was able to go through the pictures and see who the phone belonged to. I've learned my lessons. Number one, always listen to that voice. Number two, turn on Find My iPhone. And number three, don't leave naked selfies on your iPhone for your kid's principal to find. Regards, redacted. Oh, okay, I kind of made up that third one. But it could have happened. In any case, time for that good reminder. If you do not have Find My iPhone turned on, why? Are you waiting for a golden ticket invitation from Tim Cook? Well, it ain't coming. Just turn on Find My iPhone. 
and all your iOS devices, not just your main one, but on all of them, and add the screen lock, turn that on, do it now, hit pause, we'll wait. Okay, welcome back. Don't you feel better having it turned on? Hi, Rob. In episode 297, someone was asking about Kickstarter, hand crank charger. That's great, but if the road trip is within a couple of days of civilization, maybe a weekend, how about the Mophie battery pack, the $98 one at Best Buy? I just got the dual USB unit that can charge two units, or for me, have four full charges on my iPhone 5. I am out of my car, but listen to Stitcher on my iPhone 5. Therefore, I need to recharge a couple of times per day. I have gone four full charges before having to recharge this Mophie. Regards, Doug McVeigh. Doug, thanks for that feedback. We'll talk about you a little bit later in the show. Hey, Rob. This is Raj. Uh, I just heard your last episode, which talked about Siri and uh, reminders, and uh, I love all the Siri and reminders, but I have an issue with uh, the fact that I'm in the car a lot, and uh, I'm hooked up to Bluetooth, and I take all my calls uh, via Bluetooth speaker, but the problem is when I want to use Siri, it goes straight to the Bluetooth, and there must be some glitch because it won't, the microphone won't stay on long enough to listen to my voice, and then it turns off. So I'm unable to use Siri in the car, which defeats the whole safety purpose of using Siri. I was wondering if there was a way to uh, turn off the Bluetooth only for Siri, but not for the hands-free calling, uh, or if there's any other solution that anybody else has. Appreciate the show. Love it. Long-time listener. Thanks. Raj, thanks for the voicemail message. And I'm going to throw this one out to listeners. Folks that travel a lot, what Bluetooth devices do you have that work well with Siri? Let us know. 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOON-DOG. Or send an email to todayinios at gmail.com. Again, what Bluetooth devices you have that you're using in the car that work well with Siri? Here is an interesting Kickstarter project. Not sure I've ever had one where it has such a low pledge total. $19 so far. And there are 22 days to go, March 22nd at 7.36 p.m. Central Time, to be precise. They have a goal of just $5,000, which is not much, which I like. What this is, is Microsoft Office Word Processor for an iPad. really like the features. Create and edit docs, Word docs. Uh, create folders, add or remove files to the folders, use special editing features such as bold, underline, italics, uh, bullet styling, numbers, letters, check marks, Roman numerals, multiple font styles, sizes, and colors. Also comes with multiple color selector for custom coloring for files. And it opens files from email, cloud accounts such as Dropbox, uh, Box, Evernote, Microsoft's uh, OneDrive, WebDAV, uh, Google Drive, SugarSync, and of course iCloud, and there are other features. But I think where this project kind of fell down, why they only have $19, is there's just a donation of $2 or more for the rewards, or actually really no rewards. It seems like just donate. You can learn more about this by searching for Microsoft Office Word Processor in the show notes for episode 298. Might want to follow up with the dev if this is something you're interested in, because um, my guess is he's not going to get funded, but hopefully he will go ahead and, and just do this on his own and 
maybe later on we'll we'll see this launched. Um, but doesn't look good right now. And again, if you're doing a Kickstarter project, you can look at this one as an example of what not to do. You really kind of do need to have some sort of reward in there, not just, hey, donate. Again, I do like the project that he's doing, and I hope it gets funded, but... Mm, uh, let's just say I hope I'm wrong about my pessimism on this one getting funded. For those of you using SkyDrive from Microsoft, it is now changing names to OneDrive. Seems there was kind of a little legal reason to change the name. Uh, well, they have done it. Now when you sign up, you get 7 gig of cloud storage and you can get another 3 gig of storage if you connect your camera roll. And you can get up to 100 gig for a year if you spend 100 Bing Rewards points. Evidently, you can earn Bing Rewards points by doing web searches in Bing about, well, how to earn Bing Rewards points. And what that search will show you is you can earn 200 points by spamming your friends. I mean, inviting your friends to use Bing Rewards. Yep, it's a little annoying pyramid scheme. Now, the downside of spending 100 Bing reward points now for 100 gig is that, say, you use most of it up and you've got a bunch of stuff sitting there a year from now, you then have a choice to either pay 50 bucks or you need to get your data off of it. Or you could, as an iOS user, just use iCloud and keep your Bing reward points for, say, a Starbucks gift card, or at least one-fifth of one. Hi, Rob. Thought you might find this interesting. Regards, Jenny Q. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for that. And this being interesting is that Candy Crush has withdrawn its U.S. trademark application for Candy. This, it seems, was because it acquired the game Candy Crusher. However, the company did state it's still protecting its trademark for Candy and Saga in the EU. And by protecting, I guess they mean beating up the little independent developers that had the name Candy or Saga in their name. Some were prior to Candy Crush even being available. Still can't believe the EU courts are more messed up than those in the U.S. Just saying. Hey, Rob. This is Jeff calling from Connecticut. A longtime listener. Really appreciate the show. Thought I'd call in and uh, let you know my newest use for my iPhone as well as my iPad. And that is using it as a, uh, a little geeky, but it's fun. It's a uh, first-person view screen for drone called a Phantom. And uh, use the uh, iPhone, hooks onto my uh, remote control. And uh, I use it to fly a uh, quadrocopter, possibly maybe at around 1,300 feet. I say that possibly because over 400 feet is against FCC regulation. So it may or may not be at 1,300 feet. But the iPhone is crystal clear. Great reception, Wi-Fi, of course, with a little range extender, but works great. Uh, waiting for the software to get upgraded so I could use my iPad mini retina screen to uh, see an even larger screen. So a little bit of a off topic, but uh, just to let you know, a new use for the uh, iPhone and the iPad mini is uh, with the uh, new drones. So I haven't heard much discussion about that, but thought I'd mention it. Thanks very much for the show. You do a great job. We appreciate it. Take care, Take care Rob. Bye-bye. Jeff, thanks for your feedback on using your Phantom Quadrocopter drone with your iOS device. Back to the email bag. Hi, Rob. I wanted to ask you a question regarding the iPad 2. It seems when I drain my iPad completely and begin to charge it, it charges fine until it reaches 86%. It won't go to 87, etc. But when I lower the brightness all the way, it seems to charge it okay. I am thinking this is a software issue or the 10-watt charger. 
Love to hear your thoughts on the matter regards Jonah. Jonah, I have not heard that one, but yeah, it's probably always best if you're trying to charge it all the way up that you just shut the screen down and don't be using it and that'll help it charge faster. It always takes longer to charge when you're actually using it at the same time you're charging. Hi, Rob. This is Mark from Boston. First time caller, multiple time writer. I was hoping you can help me. I'm confused with the whole unlocking thing. I thought I understood in the past that you said never pay someone to unlock your phone, that it's fairly easy. But I'm trying to figure it out now. I have an iPhone 5 that I've replaced with a 5S, but the 5 is still under contract, and I'd like to unlock it so I can sell it and just let the contract expire. So if you could explain it, I'd really appreciate it. My service is with AT&T. Hi, Mark. If your service is with AT&T and you replaced your 5 with the 5S and you paid the upgrade amounts that you're supposed to pay and you, you, know, you, you, you got the 5S and you paid it and that's the one that's now under a two-year agreement, your 5 should contractually be paid up. So when you paid the extra money to get the 5S, you got the two-year agreement, that should at that point mean that your 5 is no longer under contract and that you can contact AT&T and ask them to unlock your iPhone 5. Others have done this and have had it unlocked. That's why I say don't pay to get it unlocked because if you have fulfilled your contractual obligations, and that means even upgrading to a new iPhone earlier than your two years, if you do that upgrade, you pay the full amount, you know, the higher amount, not the subsidized amount, but you pay the full amount uh, you have contractually fulfilled your agreement with your carrier and AT&T at that point should unlock your phone. If they say no, and that's happened to some listeners in the past that where back when the 5S came out, there was a couple of people that wanted to unlock their 5 so they could sell it. AT&T, the person they got on the phone initially said no, but when they pushed back, uh, they were able to get AT&T to unlock it. And oh, and if AT&T says, oh no, you have to go to Apple to get it unlocked, that's not true. That's misinformation. That's them not knowing what they're doing. Push back on AT&T and just tell them you want to talk to their supervisor because AT&T is the one that should unlock this for you. They will unlock it for free. And if you have met your contractual obligation, which it sounds like you have, if you're still with AT&T and have upgraded to a 5S, then they should unlock that 5 for you. Definitely don't pay anyone to unlock it because you have to jailbreak it. And then if it gets restored, then it can lose that, that unlock. You want to get it factory unlocked from AT&T. That way it has more value and you can sell it for a higher price. Hey, Rob. Hi, this is Hector calling from Miami, Florida. I have a question in reference to unlocking or being able to use my Sprint phone, which I just completed my contract and I'm all paid up, don't owe any money or anything. I closed my, my account and now I would like to use it on another carrier. It's an iPhone 4S. From everything I read, the phone does have all the hardware necessary, but I guess firmware regulates that it cannot be used with another carrier on, on the other network. The question is, I, I've done a lot of reading on it in Apple forums and even Sprint forums, and there is so much different answers and different possibilities, and I don't know who to believe or who to trust. The only thing that Sprint will offer me is a unlock code which from what I read doesn't really do the trick and it's not what you need to unlock the phone. 
but they also give you no instructions on what to do with that code or who to even go to for that code. I ask you uh, or the listeners, if anybody has been able to successfully unlock and go to a different carrier from a Sprint phone to, for example, AT&T, which is really, or an AT&T like Net10 or one of those kind of companies, but being able to use that SIM card with a, a Sprint 4S, I'd appreciate any info on that. And it seems like there is a lot of talk online and even on the forums about this issue. Just want to hear some thoughts and some opinions. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye. Hector, once again, like for Mark, this is a situation where once you're contractually completed with Sprint, they should unlock it so you can use it on different carriers. You might get lucky, talk to the right person at Sprint, or you might, in your your case, get unlucky and talk to the wrong people at Sprint. But I would like to know, like you would, if anyone's out there that has successfully gotten their iPhone 4S on Sprint, which was fulfilled on contractual basis, unlocked to use on another carrier other than Sprint in the U.S. and other than Ting, because Ting really is a Sprint network. So if you were able to use it on AT&T or one of the other carriers out there, even some of the smaller ones, uh, what did you have to do and how? who did you have to contact to get this iPhone 4S from Sprint unlocked? Give us a call, 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOON-DOG. Or send an email to todayinios at gmail.com. Again, if you've gotten your iPhone 4S that you had on Sprint that was fulfilled in this contract unlocked so you could use it on another carrier, let us know how you did it. Back to the email bag. Hi, Rob. I have a question about voice recorders on my iPhone 4S. I use a Blue Parrot brand Bluetooth headset, and when I record voice memos, it still picks up the sound through the iPhone microphone. I have tried a few different voice recorder apps from the App Store and get the same results. I'm wondering, is this just an iOS feature that's not allowed, maybe, or is it a headset that I'm using? Or am I doing something wrong? Any help from you would be appreciated. Regards, Shannon in Fountain Hills. Shannon, thanks for the voicemail message. Hey, Dave M., if you're listening, does Boss Jock support that? Let me know if Boss Jock will allow that. Or if it's even possible for a voice recording app to use the Bluetooth headphone speaker, or microphone, I should say, rather than the built-in microphone of the iPhone, or if the iPhone microphone always defaults if you don't have one physically plugged into the iPhone. I'm wondering if that's the issue. If you don't have one physically plugged in, that it won't use the Bluetooth, rather, and will always default to the built-in microphone. Uh, if Dave M., if you're not listening, or if someone else out there other than Dave uh, knows for sure if there's a way to get a Bluetooth microphone to be your default microphone for recording in a voice memo app, let us know. 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOONDOG. Hi, Rob. I recently jailbroke my iPhone 5S, but shortly after that, uh, then I took off the jailbreak a few days after that. I noticed my default wallpapers in the still category was empty. It just shows blank screen. I've tried restoring twice and no fix. Any help would be great. Regards, Chris. And Chris, I'll throw that one out to the jailbreak community. Anyone have any suggestions about that? Where after jailbreaking and then taking off the jailbreak, your still wallpapers are gone. I would ask Chris, have you tried a factory 
restore, not from a previous restore, but setting it up as a factory fresh device and seeing what happens that way. That might be the only solution. It may be that you have some issue in your backup that's causing this. But if anyone else has seen this problem and fixed it, give us a call. 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOON-DOG. Or send an email to todayinios at gmail.com. Hey, Rob. It's Tim from Chicago. Calling in our caller from last week who was uh, trying to activate his iPad Air on Verizon. All iPad Airs are unlocked. And all he needs to do is make sure that the SIM card is properly activated by his carrier. So he needs to go into Verizon and say, hey, I need a SIM card that works for this. That's it. And they'll activate it. Because some mobile phone plan uh, SIM cards will not work, even though um, they'll fit and all that. They just they have to be activated properly. Now, the only caveat to this is Sprint. So Sprint will only activate a iPad that was bought specifically from Apple and was bought as a universal, so without a carrier in mind. Sprint is the only company that's uh, not required to unlock um, LTE devices. So I hope that helps, Rob. You have a great day. Love the show. Bye. A couple tweets from the Jailbreak team. For upgrading to iOS 7.0.6, back up your device and restore on iTunes, then Jailbreak and restore your backup. Do not use over-the-air updates. Evasion 7, with support for iOS 7.0.6, is now live at evasion.com. So again, if you did update to iOS 7.0.6, it is good to know, as mentioned earlier, that you can still jailbreak your device. And if you go to evasion.com with a zero in place of the O in evasion, you can get the latest jailbreak for any device running any version of iOS 7.x. As always, if you are going to jailbreak, make sure you back up everything. You transfer any photos to your computer, and you close out all your open apps and reset network settings first. Then when it comes back up, make sure you connect to Wi-Fi again. This, it appears, does help when doing a jailbreak or any upgrade, for that matter, any update to software. It's always best to close all your apps out. Do a nice restore of being resetting network settings. Uh, that seems, again, to make things go a little bit smoother and have less issues. At least it's worked that way for me and others that have done it this way. Back to the email bag. Hi, Rob. On your last episode, you had a marathon of tips on Siri and using the Reminders app. I enjoyed that very much and found it very useful. Please consider doing a mini marathon again on similar topics. Thank you. Regards. And I enjoy your show, Phil into the email bag, and let's start one of those little mini marathons. Hi Rob, per your request, here are my favorite camera apps in order of use. One, Pro HDR by iApps, eyeapps.com. Two, True HDR. Three, 360 by Acceptable. Four, Photar HDR by Fodar.com. Five, Photosynth by Microsoft. The actual most used camera app is Apple iPhone app since it's the easiest one to access and the fastest one to use. I estimate I've taken over 5,000 pictures with my iPhones. Most pictures have been outdoor landscapes type pictures. I am glad that you asked listeners for their favorite camera apps. I am looking forward to seeing what other listeners are using. Regards, Jim from Lakewood, Colorado. Hi, Rob. I'm addicted to the camera and graphics apps. 
I collect many paid and free apps. That being said, I use the built-in Apple camera app overall. Unless you have a jailbroken phone that allows you to select the app that you want in the flip section on the lock screen, the built-in app is the fastest camera you'll have. For processing, I use Pick Tap Go, one word, the most. It's easy and fast to tweak your photos, basic color filters to fix your photos, plus the icon is cool. Yes, that does make a difference to me. I recently purchased Waterlog, L-O-G-U-E, or maybe it's Waterluge, and it is fantastic for watercolor effects for your photos. It is made by Tin Rocket that makes Popsy Color and Percolator. Both are great too. If you're looking for a camera replacement app, it's hard to go wrong with Camera Plus or Pro Camera. Both are great. One more I will mention, and it's very different than every camera app out there, is No Finder. This camera app does not have a viewfinder. How can you take a good photo with it? Shoot it from the hip. Just set it uh, with the type of photo you want and click away. You can see your results after the shot was taken or not. It really does create a random feel to your photos because you can only guess where you're pointing at. You can set it for high contrast black and white images. Uh, they look great. Sometimes not for taking important photos where you need to know what you're taking. This is more for street photography or cool random shots. I recommend it a lot. You can set it for square ratio for Instagram. Speaking of that, my feed is at T-O-A-S-T-I-S-T. Toastist. I still plan on sending in some artwork for the show eventually. Hope this helps any iPhoneographers out there. Regards, Dan. Well, Dan, thank you very much for that feedback. Hi, Rob. My favorite photo apps that I have used are the following. And I do a lot of photo editing and photography on my iPhone, as you may be able to tell from my latest TII work submissions. One, Cycloramic, C-Y-C-L-O-R-A-M-I-C. Uh, I'm horrible with names. Anyway, Cycloramic takes a panorama while it spins your iPhone on the table or a smooth surface. It works okay on my iPhone 4, but a lot better on the iPhone 5 and later because of the increased weight on the latter iPhones. It's not only for the iPhone, though. You can download for the iPod Touch, too, except you have to ha use a guided mode for panoramas. You can edit the panoramas and also edit imported photos from your camera roll. You can add filters, frames, text, and stickers, etc. Second one is Snappy Cam. The app was pulled from the App Store because it was bought by Apple. It lets you take up to 120.3 megapixel photos per second on the iPhone 5S. You can scroll through these individual pictures and delete certain pictures individually and export the series of photos to GIF videos or export them all to a camera roll. The developer developed this app by himself, and the app was very well made. I was sad to see it go from the App Store, but hope to see its technology integrated into future iPhones. And three, Hipstamatic. Uh, the app lets you take pictures in square format with the option of frames and lenses that you use to take the picture. 
there is no post-processing of the pictures as you have to select the filter and lens before you take the picture like a real camera. Regards, Ben K. Well, gentlemen, thank you all for your feedback on that. And folks, if you have a favorite camera app that you did not hear mentioned today, we can continue this on the next episode. Just give us a call, 206-666-6364, that's 206-MOON-DOG, or send an email to todayinios at gmail.com. Let us know your favorite photography apps or photo editing apps. Again, just give us a call or send us an email. We'd love to hear which apps you use that weren't mentioned today. Or if they were mentioned, just give us some other examples of how you use those apps in a little bit more detail. For those trying to take notes, don't worry. Links in the show notes for episode 298 over at todayinios.com or in the TII app for all of the apps that were just mentioned. Well, sans snappy cam since that one's been yanked from the app store. I want to send out congrats to Doug McVeigh, who is a longtime listener of the show and mentioned earlier in this episode. And well, it sounds like he is a listener of quite a few other shows as he was named the first winner of the Stitcher Award for Listener of the Year. Congrats, Doug, and thanks for mentioning this show in your post on Stitcher. Hey, Rob, this is Mike calling in from Hackensack, New Jersey. Long-time listener, second or third-time caller. But to get to the point, on the latest episode, you had mentioned about the lifespan of an iPhone versus an Android. And I also heard you say that your children have been using your seven-year-old iPhone which I think is very cool, but I wanted to just bring up a point that maybe you've discussed in previous podcasts, and that's about the battery and the battery life, and not just how long it lasts, but the condition of the battery. Um, About two weeks ago, I had my battery replaced in my iPhone 4S to only find that it was leaking and was starting to split open. And the gentleman that fixed it said, you know, this is very dangerous. Uh, Apple is aware of it, but again, you know, lucky for me, I had replaced the phone because it was starting to leak um, the chemicals inside the battery, and he said that can be dangerous. I'm just making the point of um, if your children um, are using the units with the original battery, um, definitely suggest you get it replaced because it can be dangerous to have the leaking battery inside of a unit. So again... I used to, you know, I thought it was kind of a, maybe an urban legend that the batteries um, begin to burst and the acid comes out and all that good stuff or whatever chemicals inside. But point being, I did, I saw it for myself and um, it was pretty disgusting and I'm glad I got my batteries switched out. And again, and that was on a iPhone 4S. So just give you a heads up, take care, keep up the good work. Thanks for the voicemail message, but I do want to clarify this. And there is some urban myth and legends going on with what you just said. Lithium-ion batteries contain no toxic metals. Unlike other types of batteries, which may contain lead or cadmium, they are generally categorized as non-hazardous wastes. Lithium-ion battery elements include iron, copper, nickel, and cobalt and are considered safe for incinerators and landfills. These metals can also be recycled, but mining generally remains cheaper than recycling. Anyway, that is what I have to say about lithium-ion batteries. Even if they do leak, which I've never had one leak or heard about it leaking, uh, what happens sometimes is when a battery goes to fail, hasn't been used in a long time, it can um, bulge out. 
and because it is a pressurized device. But it, even if it does leak, it remember there's not a liquid electrolyte in there. If it does leak, uh, what'll happen again is there's no toxic material in there. The biggest issue with lithium ion batteries is not leaking, it's fire. It's the fear of fire. And every now and then that happens. And that usually only happens when the battery has been physically damaged or has been charged at a temperature below zero degrees Celsius. So again, that's where your biggest issues with lithium ion batteries come. I've never had anyone say they've had a lithium ion battery leak. You're the first one I've heard that. I looked around the web. I couldn't find anyone else reporting leaking batteries. The guy that told you that this is an issue with Apple, sorry, he was pulling something on you. I'm hoping it was only your leg. Um, but that is not, that's definitely not a case out there. And trust me, when there's an issue of failure with Apple, it's not like there's lack of reporting of it. So there are no issues that I know of, I've read about, of leaking batteries for the iPhone. And even if there was a leaking battery, it's non-toxic material in lithium-ion batteries. Now, I'm not trying to say you didn't have an issue with your battery. You, obviously, you saw it, you had an issue, but I think that is a very isolated case. And if it was expanding and leaking, any material that was leaking was non-toxic because there is no toxic materials in a lithium-ion battery. Again, the biggest danger from lithium-ion batteries is combustion because the materials in there are combustible. Hi, Rob. I wonder if you can help me out. My wife regularly travels abroad for work. The problem she is having is that when she is out of Wi-Fi coverage, she can only send text messages by turning on data roaming. I have tried a few things to resolve this, including turning iMessage off and ensuring that mobile data is turned on. I've also reset network settings. But once she is abroad again, same problem. I hope you or your listeners can come up with some solutions as Vodafone Ireland support has come up blank so far. Regards, Brian M. Galloway, Ireland. Uh, P.S. Maybe sometime in the future you could do a feature on jailbreaking. I have never done it. Uh, neither has anyone I know. Perhaps you can explain what it's all about. Truth is, I know nothing about it. How you do it. Uh, why you would do it. Uh, what are the benefits? What are the pitfalls? That sort of thing. Again, regards, Brian. Well, Brian, I'm going to send your question out uh, about the issues with your wife and text and text messaging uh, out to the audience. If anyone out there is traveling internationally and has had this issue and has fixed this issue, give us a call, 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOON-DOG. Or send an email to todayinios at gmail.com. And per your request on jailbreaking, yes, we are overdue for a good jailbreaking feature at, at one of the upcoming episodes, so I need to get that done. I, I need to get the tutorial done, too, on jailbreaking on iOS 7 before uh, you can't do it anymore. So, yes, I agree. That needs to be done, Brian. So thank you for pushing me on that. Hi, Rob. My name is Ace. I'm from Rhode Island, and I have an issue with my iPhone 5S and the songs that I have stored on there. Now these songs, uh, a certain number of them, will have uh, a red square surrounded by a red circle next to them, and they will be grayed out, and they will not play. I'm hoping that you have a quick fix for it. I haven't seen it addressed before on your show. I n noticed that a number of people online have the same issue. On a separate note, I also have problems where those songs, not just those songs, but even songs that play, will just stop playing in the middle of the song and just be silent for the rest of the song. 
tried restoring the phone. I've tried certain settings that people have suggested not working. So if you have an answer for this, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Bye. Ace, thanks for calling in. Sounds to me like you might have an iTunes match issue. I don't know if you have iTunes match turned on. I'm going to send this one out to the listeners. If anyone else has had this issue, fix this issue, let us know. Give us a call. Send us an email. You know the number. You know the email. Hi, Rob. I'm looking for a to-do manager that integrates with Microsoft Exchange because I use Outlook throughout the day for work. I presently use Task Task, and it's okay, but it's not as appealing as some of the other task managers I've researched, either visually or from an ease-of-use perspective. Problem is, I haven't found one that is easy to use and also syncs with Exchange, so my changes will show in Outlook. The Stock Reminders app is okay and syncs with Exchange, but doesn't have functionality such as sorting subjects alphabetically. I would appreciate any recommendations from you or your fellow listeners and an easy-to-use task manager with Exchange integration. Thanks. Regards, Stu. Stu? Throwing that one out there, since I don't use uh, Office inter- uh, Outlook Exchange or Microsoft Exchange. Anyway, I don't use it, so I can't really give you a good recommendation. If anyone else does and knows of a good task manager that syncs with Exchange and is easy to use and you can alphabetize things, give us a call, 206-666-6364-206-MoonDog, or send an email to todayinios at gmail.com. Hey, Rob, this is L.A. Williams from Pennsylvania. I wanted to comment, I've been listening to number 297, and you guys are talking a lot about reminders and Siri. One of the things I had a question about is how do I stop Siri from having so much access to my contacts? What I do a lot of times is, you know, I may need to remember to call a client back, and so I'll tell Siri, remind me to call, you know, John Jackson or something. And if John Frazier is in my contacts, Siri will try to associate John Frazier, and I don't want that. I wanted to see if someone could help me out there. That was actually the main thing, even because I'm totally blind. So I do a lot of dictating uh, of my text messages. And I might say, call if you can. And it'll put call Aisha Y can or something like that. Like, it's it's crazy. So I just think a lot of times Siri has too much access to my contacts and I can't shut it off. So if someone could help with that, that'd be awesome. Thanks a lot. Love the show. And I appreciate you. Later. Hi, L.A. Thanks for calling in. I don't think there's going to be a solution for you. I don't know of a way to exclude a contact from Siri other than excluding the contact from your phone, period. But I think Siri gets full access to all your contacts. What you can do is go in and update the phonetic way you say the names for your your different contacts so Siri is more likely to get it correct. So you can train Siri for your different contacts, but that takes a lot of work if you have a lot of contacts. But I'm not really sure if there's a way for Siri to avoid where you say, don't, you know, Siri, don't use this contact. Maybe I am wrong. Maybe there is a way. Uh, Maybe there's a jailbreak tweak for that. If anyone knows of a way to have Siri blacklist certain contacts or blacklist certain contacts from Siri, let us know, 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOON-DOG, or send an email to todayinios at gmail.com. Thanks again to today's sponsor, Hover.com. Remember, for new users, use promo code T-I-I-S-S-L, one word, 
to get 10% off your purchase. Hover is who I manage all my domains with, and I really do love their service and recommend them even when they're not advertising on the show. Again, use promo code T-I-I-S-S-L to save 10% when you first purchase domain names with Hover. If you want to know when new episodes go up, look at the TI app, not just as the best way to consume the show, but also as a great way to get push messages when a new episode goes live or there is other iOS breaking news, just $2.99 in the App Store. It helps you get the most out of the show, and it helps support the show at the same time. Plus, it makes it really easy to email or call the show with your feedback. Again, just search for TII in the iTunes App Store. And before we go today, I want to remind you to send in your feedback to the show, 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOONDOG. Or record your feedback and email it to the show at todayinios at gmail.com. Feedback can be a question or comment for something someone said on this episode, or it can be a question or rant you have about something else. An app or product review, good or bad, as long as it's iOS related, it is welcomed. I'm always looking for new artwork to feature that you've created on an iOS device. Just put some TII branding on it and send it in. And of course, we are always looking for more music created on iOS device to play on the show. It's your show, and your feedback is greatly desired. And don't forget to check out the moderated Google Plus community by going to todayinios.com slash community. We should be over 500 members here in the next few hours. And finally, 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 I want to thank everyone that helped my son's podcast by sending in some feedback. That's Porter's podcast. So if you had listened all the way through the last episode, I did a little shout out there asking for people to call in to 206 666-4357. That's 206-MOM-HELP is for Porter. And if you would like to ask any question, uh, we had a question about improving golf game. We had a question about the fastest land dinosaur. Whatever you want to ask him, Porter is there to answer your questions. He's having fun doing his podcast. He's got two episodes up since my last episode. He's more prolific as a podcaster now than I have been. But again, that's Porter's podcast. If you want to check out my son's podcast, it's just a fun little podcast where he's going to answer a half dozen or so questions per episode covering any subject uh, Only as only a five and a half year old can answer those questions. And that, folks, is going to do it for us today. Until the next time, I'm your host, Rob, from Today in iOS, reminding you to phone different. This show is hosted on Libsyn.com and part of the Wizard Media Network. If you are looking for hosting, go to Libsyn.com, that's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com, for hosting for your podcast and for creation of your own smartphone app. The Today in iOS podcast can also be found on the free Stitcher radio app. Just search for T-I-I. Thank <laughs> you.